Hey guys, I hope you're having an amazing summer wherever you are and I cannot wait to be back very soon sharing more episodes with your favorite theater people. But until then, I really wanted to share this bonus episode with you guys because there's this show that I've completely fallen in love with. Um, If you've seen my Instagram, you probably know which one I'm talking about, but it's called The View Upstairs and it's currently running at the Soho Theatre here in London until August 24th. It's a brilliant piece of LGBTQ theatre which is written by a creative genius named Max Vernon, who is also my guest on this episode. I've seen the show twice now and it has an incredibly talented cast. Um, It's based on a true story, which is this forgotten piece of LGBTQ history, which not very many people know about, I don't think especially here in the UK. And Max has done a brilliant job adapting this for the stage into a musical. And it is so cleverly written and heartfelt that it actually had me in tears towards the end. And it made me think about how far we've come in terms of LGBTQ rights and progress yet how much there still is to do. I'll let him talk to you about how this musical came about in just a second, but please come support the show if you can. You can also listen to the original off-Broadway cast recording on Spotify and iTunes. I'll link everything down below so you can do it in one easy click. And I really encourage you to do so because Max's score is truly incredible and you'll be listening to these songs for weeks afterwards. The Soho Theatre also have a really cool 25-year-old and younger initiative for tickets, which actually makes this show even more affordable for young people. So that's just one more reason why you should come and see The View upstairs if you can. So with all that being said, here's my conversation with the incredibly talented Max Vernon. Congratulations on the European premiere of The View Upstairs last night. Uh, You had your opening, so what was going through your head as the evening kind of progressed? I don't know, it was a little bit surreal. You know, I I don't think there was anything going through my head really other than gratitude. Just that, uh, you know, we opened the show two years ago in New York and um, it's been a wild journey. There's been 15 productions around the United States and even one in Australia. And so to now be here in London, I just think is amazing. So yeah, I think in my head I was just like, wow, this is really cool really amazing so let's catch up on your background for a little bit before we dig into the show so where are you from originally and I'm just curious to know how did your upbringing perhaps influence your career in the arts yeah I mean I was born in New York um, and uh, you know my parents got divorced and I moved out with my mom to Los Angeles when I was six but I still would visit my dad and spend quite a bit of time in New York And uh, growing up, I loved musical theater. I don't really know where that love comes from, but uh, I would beg my parents to take me to Times Square, you know, to go see Broadway shows all the time. So, yeah, I definitely think, you know, I don't know if I hadn't lived in New York and I hadn't been exposed to all that musical theater, maybe I would have been doing something else with my life. Did you have like a formative theater experience like growing up? I think the, the formative experience I had was I saw Rent when I was like nine, maybe eight or nine. Um... And uh, that was just totally a game changer for me. I fell in love, it felt subversive, it felt really cool, it felt dangerous. And um, I saw it seven times, ended up seeing seven times, becoming a total rent head. And then as I got older, I became really into 
Rocky Horror and Hedwig and Hair. And uh, in general, that's kind of like the genre of musicals I like. I like these kind of weird cult rock, sexy, dark, uh, subversive musicals. And, and I feel like with The View Upstairs, that's what I set out to write. And you're a performer as well. So how did you develop that skill set? Um, well, I've always just kind of been a singer, you know, I, uh, before I actually went into musical theater as a writer, I was trying to be a singer songwriter and, you know, I kept getting the feedback that your songs are very character driven. They're very, uh, narrative. So, you know, you should think about writing for the stage and, and expanding out the world of that. So that kind of happened organically. Um, but I compose most of my stuff, just me at a piano. So, you know, I, I love watching people interpret my work and have that kind of creative collaboration, but uh, it is super fun to do my cabaret shows and perform on my own too. Awesome. And then in terms of education, you went to NYU for gender studies, right? Yes. Okay. So, and then later you did theater writing. So at which point did you kind of come across this actual story of the upstairs lounge? Uh, I did when I was undergrad. So uh, I don't remember exactly where I found it on the internet, but it was somewhere in the internet. I was in some kind of internet wormhole, and I, I think I ended up in a chat room that I saw a post that said, you know, next month it's going to be like the 36th anniversary of the upstairs lounge fire where 32 people died, and, you know, I had been spending four years going really down the rabbit hole of uh, queer theory and history, and so uh, it really shocked me that I hadn't heard of this, and I brought it to a lot of my professors, and they hadn't heard of it either, so... I just kind of clocked it in my head that, you know, that's really bizarre that people don't know about this and I want to find a way to call attention to it. And for those listeners who are not familiar with what happened in 1973, could you just kind of briefly talk to me about the real life tragedy and the way in which you've adapted that story? Yeah, so um, on Pride weekend in June in 1973, um, the Upstairs Lounge, which was a gay bar in New Orleans, was burned down uh, in an arson attack by one of the patrons who was a gay hustler who had very, you know, conflicted feelings about his own sexuality. And he'd been kicked out because he'd been harassing patrons in the bathroom. And um, so 32 people died, which up until Pulse was the worst attack of its kind in our country's history on the, on the queer community. Um, but it was totally swept under the rug. Politicians didn't talk about it. Uh, religious leaders didn't talk about it. It was in and out of the papers. The cops never arrested anyone. Um, no one was ever tried for a crime. Um, so it's this kind of uh, really tragic, forgotten thing in our history that, you know, I wanted to illuminate. But the thing is, you don't fall in love with tragedy. You fall in love with seeing life. And so I didn't want to write a musical that felt like a funeral. I wanted to write a musical that felt like a celebration, which is why I kind of happened upon the structure of the show, which uh, uses this element of time travel or, or ghost story in a way in order to use the fire to compare and contrast 1973 with 2019 and say, you know, over 45 years, you know, how far have we come and what are the ways in which maybe we haven't made the progress we thought we would make. Great. And, you know, it is such a particular story, as you mentioned, to take on and to build a piece of musical theater around. So what was the first thing you did after you got this idea? I think the first thing I did was I wrote this song called Sex on Legs, which is uh, a song that the drag queen character in my show sings, which is the least relevant to the entire show narrative, but it was the thing that sparked the most joy for me. And uh, 
I wanted to tackle the most joyous thing first in the musical because I wanted to stay true to the impulse that this is a story that is about joy, not about just heartbreak and, and tragedy. And I imagine you had to do a lot of research as well. Yeah, yeah I try. I certainly tried to. Um, you know, it was hard because there weren't that many articles available. I mean, like I said, it was in and out of the papers, but, you know, I certainly did read the Times-Picayune and uh, I tried to find out whatever information I could about the patrons who were actually there and then some of my background in queer studies in college came into play of me being able to speak to um, pre-AIDS queer community in the 70s. Did you get to interview any of the survivors of the attack or is it too sensitive for them to talk about? Um, I did not personally interview the survivors but I did speak with um, Troy Perry who was the founder of the Metropolitan Community Church which is uh, in my piece. And because the Metropolitan Community Church was hosting um, a sermon uh, and kind of party fundraiser at, on the night of the fire in the bar. And the Metropolitan Community Church was the first church uh, that allowed uh, gay parishioners and it was created by Troy Perry. And so after the fire, um, Troy Perry came out from Los Angeles and was very involved in the New Orleans community for a while. So I did speak with him. So then what was the journey of this project like? Like how, did, uh, how long did it take for you to develop it? Yeah, well, I first started writing it when I was 24, and I'm 31 now, so uh, it has gone through a lot of changes. When I first started writing it, gay marriage wasn't legal. Uh, gays couldn't serve in the military in, uh, you know, in our country, and Barack Obama was president. And so I thought I was writing a show that had a much more clear-cut narrative of progress. And then um, over the many years I was writing it, um, some of that progress did happen, but you know, pulse happened, Trump got elected, you know, now trans people are being banned from bathrooms and in the military and our whole world is having this very conservative backlash right now. So um, that really changed the message of the piece ultimately in the story that I was telling. Yeah, so what's, what were some of the challenges that you faced writing this, you know, piece creatively? I think the biggest challenge that I faced is staying true to my desire to make the main character um, a really complicated character. Um, there's a lot of people that struggle with the fact that he is kind of unlikable. He's a little bit like Ebenezer Scrooge, if Ebenezer Scrooge was like a cunty millennial fashionista. Um, but that's my intention, because the whole point, what people don't understand, because sometimes I read versions of my show which say, ugh, we've got this horrible main character, but all the characters in the past are so amazing, and I just wish we could just have a show that's about them and take this guy out of it altogether. And they don't understand the reason why they love all those characters in the past is because the main character is so awful and that's actually intentional and that's the point of why I wrote it like that because the main character is a cipher for all of us in the audience. He represents now and frankly I don't like the world we're living in right now so I don't like him either but the point is that this person we don't like goes back to the past and he has this experience and it changes him and it makes him want to be better and figure out how he can change and honor those people and going forward be a less fucked up human being yeah and when i was watching the show i actually noticed a lot of very current political references and pop culture references as well so do you keep tweaking it for every single version that you do or is it something specific to london no i don't i don't um tweak it for every version i do, i do um there was a line in the original production about the kkk that i felt i took out because i didn't feel like it people would really have a reference for that necessarily here in London. But I added in a line of, you know, we're putting kids in cages now um, because that's true. And that is something that is even worse than uh, two years ago when we opened off Broadway. 
So, um, yeah, I want I want the show to be as relevant as possible. You know, it's a it's basically resistance theater. You know, so I I really believe in speaking truth to power. What are some of your considerations when casting this show, whether in America or here? Something that's really important to me is this is a story about the queer community, and uh, I really want to give queer talent the the foremost chance to be cast in my material. I don't, I mean, I'm not, if there's an incredibly talented straight actor and we don't have the talent available to do the part at hand, I'm certainly open. I want the story to be told well, but I, I really want to give an employment opportunity to people in my community to tell a story that's from our community. So that is really important to me in the casting. Um, it's really important to me to have a diverse cast that reflects the world that we're living in. Um, and then just, I'm a perfectionist, and, and because I am a singer, my bar of talent is very high in, in terms of what I demand vocally from my talent, and my music is hard, and so um, these people we've cast are some of the best singers, I think, in London right now. I definitely second that. It's, <laughs> it's truly incredible. Like, you guys have to hear it. I don't think we're going to get, like, a cast kind of recording hopefully maybe yeah we'll see i don't know who knows but uh let's put it god out bless there. But, yeah. yeah but um you guys definitely have to go and see the show well first of all you have to come and see the show but you definitely have to hear the score because it's incredible Actually, and you can on spotify shameless plug for free i mean why wouldn't you <laughs> brilliant okay and actually this is something you touched upon so as a performer yourself did that in any way influence the way in which you wrote this musical um Yes, only insofar as, you know, um, for me as a performer, I'm the kind of performer who I do like 10 costume changes in my show. You know, I love the pageantry. I love the magic of theater. I'm not in the least bit concerned about realism. So if you're coming to the show expecting Arthur Miller, you're going to be solely disappointed. Um, in terms of who I am as a person, how I live my life, and, and the sheer amount of performativity that I live my life with, I wanted that to end up in the piece. I wanted a drag show. I wanted a fashion show. I wanted crazy costume changes. I wanted um, time travel. I wanted it to be a, a spectacle because I think that the sheer entertainment and spectacle is what also throws the, the tragic element of the piece into relief and really makes you feel the loss of all of that. Absolutely. So what emotions do you hope the show will evoke in the audiences? The primary emotion is um, I want people to feel inspired. I want them to feel inspired and pissed off and motivated. I don't want people to feel sad. Um, I mean, there is people. There are people crying in the audience every night, but myself I, included on Monday. But I, that is not the message I want people to take away. You know, like there's a lyric in the final song that says, "You know, I hope you were right that I won't leave with only tragedy tonight, because the ending's still mine to write." And he, you know, the character gets out his sketchbook and he gets to work and he starts imagining a more better world. Uh, a more better world. I don't even think that's English. A better world. Um, <laughs> as you can tell, we had our press night last night, so I had a few gin and tonics, so I'm, I'm speaking to you through a hangover. Um, but, uh, yeah, I want people to leave feeling inspired to figure out, you know, there are these people in the past who fought all these battles for us to live in this world we're living now in which maybe things aren't 100% better, but they are better, and there's still work to be done, and the best way to honor those people is to grab the torch, push forward, and keep fighting. That was literally going to be my next question, actually. You know, what are some of the ways in which we as kind of spectators can take this message, in your opinion, and kind of go and make at least any kind of difference in, in the world? 
Well, I think to, uh, we all have a role to play, regardless of what we, you know, what we do. Some of us are teachers, some of us are bankers, some of us are artists. You know, if you're not creative but you're a banker and you have a lot of money, you can give to charity. If you're a broke-ass artist like me, but you have a creative voice, you can use your creativity to make art that inspires others. Um, you can go to rallies, you can get involved in politics, you can call um, the people in your governments to, and, and you can be visible if you are from. Um, a minority that is discriminated against, you have to put yourself on the line and make yourself visible and say, you know, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. Because it's easier for people to steal rights away and prog progress away from people who they can't put a human face to. Definitely. And you can develop more stories like this. Not even sad, but about love, about acceptance. Yeah, I mean, and to me, that that is one of the things that frustrates me so much about when people talk about queer community or theater and they review my work or they review other people in I know's work is that for whatever reason every show by a queer artist suddenly bears this responsibility to represent all of the community in its infinite nuance and it's like some people are so thrilled and some people are pissed by your perspective you know like there's some people in my show who are pissed that I wrote a queer show that's not about the AIDS epidemic do you know what I mean there's a reference yeah. to it but there's a lot of people who live through that trauma and they're kind of like well how dare you talk about you know our history and not really go into that and bring that up and that's but it's not, not about that. But it's not about that, and that's not the story that I'm telling, and there's so many people who are telling that story beautifully, but I guess my, my main thing is, yeah, I want people to be inspired to say, wow, that was really cool, and now I want to tell my story, because my story is unique, and I want to get that out, because really, if this show is successful, it lifts everybody up, really, because it tells producers, I can throw my money at left-of-center weird art like this that is being made by young people that is political and daring and risky. Um, so my success, if I have it, will really only elevate other queer artists here in London and Europe, hopefully. On that note, what kinds of stories do you think should be told more through live performance? Well, I think there, you know, there is a fair amount of gay theater and less queer theater, and I think there is a very clear distinction there because I think that a lot of gay theater focuses mainly on white property owning, 1% wealthy, uh, you know, men who have, you know, broken through and other than the fact that they suck dick are more or less heterosexual. And um, it's harder to have shows that are about people who live on the margins because we have lots of um, internalized biases against those people. And so I want more shows about faggots I want more shows about trans women. I want more shows about people who exist um, beyond gender. I want shows about um, queer people of color, people, queer people who are disabled, um, lesbians, so it's not just men, you know? I mean, I think there's so many stories in the queer community that need to be told that are not just white gay men. And beautifully said and I think a lot of young people especially want to hear these stories yeah There's, we want diversity we want to hear new perspectives totally. because it's getting quite boring yeah if I'm yeah. completely honest 100% but do you think there's enough support for new musicals for developing material um I mean it's hard you know it is really 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 hard um our original production off Broadway was incredibly expensive you know it cost over a million dollars to make and uh, that can really preclude a lot of people from getting into the theater if they have to raise that amount of money to get their show done. And I'm incredibly lucky in that I was able to do that, but 
it is also proof of all the productions we've had since then that did not have a million dollars. They were much less resourced, and a lot of them are community theaters, and they're still putting on the show mainly with passion, a can of hairspray, and like a, a prayer. So, uh, yeah, I think if you build it, they will come. Um, and you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So you might as well write your show. And I think if, if it has relevance and passion and integrity in your own life, it will resonate with other people too. And was that a conscious choice for you to write everything yourself? No, it wasn't a conscious choice. I mean, I looked for many years for a collaborator, but I couldn't find one. And um, eventually I realized, you know what, I can write this on my own because it is such a personal story to me that it, actually it's maybe better if I write it on my own. And it turned out brilliantly. So what do you hope the legacy of this show will be? Um, I hope in time, you know, it's still really early in the, the path of the show. It's only been around for two years and it's had all these productions, which is really awesome. And I, you know, I hope in time that reputation will only continue to grow. You know, I hope 10 years from now I'm saying we've had over 100 productions of the show because I think... Um, it is that kind of a show that wants to have a cult life. And so the more and more productions of it that happen in communities and the more people fall in love with it, um, the more power the show gets because people go into it having an association with it. You know, when you're a, a new... When you're, I'm only 31. When you're a 31-year-old musical theater writer um, and you're writing a new musical that people don't know, it's really an uphill battle to get past a certain threshold where you're considered uh, a legitimate piece of work in the canon you know like at i'm sure with early you know reviews of something like fiddler on the roof there were probably some reviews that were like you know it's a has a lot of potential but unfortunately there's no memorable songs in the score and you know all that stuff and now you know 40 years later when you know they do a regional production of Fiddler on the Roof, no one's saying that anymore because it's been around for 30 years. So we do know the score, and we do love it, and um, that is the kind of thing that I hope will happen with the show because it, the the fan base of people who really get this show are so passionate about it that they've been elevating it, and they single-handedly on social media and and everywhere have been the ones who have really given the show life because they've said you have to see this it's an underrated musical no one knows this but i know it and i'm obsessed with it and they're sharing it with their friends and, and that's amazing so i just hope that continues yeah that actually goes back to the conversation we just had uh before this because you know i immediately wanted to share about it i think it's a brilliant piece and is there one message that you want to share with people you know who are perhaps undecided who don't know what they want to see on the west end at the moment why should they come and see this one? Um, I think they should come and see this one because, our one, our cast is just as good, if not better, than any musical currently on the West End, and I feel like I can say that pretty confidently. But two, it's entertaining, but it's actually about something, and there's real dramatic stakes to this because it is so reflective of the world we are living in right now. It is about our political situation and finding a way to navigate this really fucked up moment and find uh, joy and survival in, in all of that and beauty in all of that. And so I think it's a show that will leave pe people feeling very hopeful. And so I want them to see it for that reason. So now we've gone to random section. So ambition or talent, which matters more to success? Ambition. Why? 
because you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the courage to share that talent with anyone, you'll never be discovered. I mean, you need talent. You can't have no talent and just a lot of ambition and make it, or like you can in reality TV, maybe not in musical theater. Um, but I think I, I, when I when you say ambition, what I actually translate that as is just work ethic. You know, how relentless are you? This is a queer path with so much rejection. And if you aren't constantly throwing your work back out there and getting up and doing it again, um, you won't. You just can't have a career in this. It's too impossible. Favorite place you've been to in London? Shoreditch, Brick Lane. Cool. Uh, mornings or evenings? Evenings. Um, what's your biggest extravagance? Uh, skincare. <laughs> Moisturizer. I mean, you look absolutely fabulous, so doing a really good job. So, book recommendation. Book recommendation. Um, I'm reading a lot of um, Flannery O'Connor right now, who was a Southern Gothic writer um, who is, oh my god, she's so freaking amazing. Um, she has this short story collection called A Good Man is Hard to Find. It's so good. It's so good. Okay, who or what has been your biggest influence? Wow, I've had a lot of really big influences. Um, Joni Mitchell, Stevie Wonder, Laura Nero, in terms in terms of composers. Uh, in terms of theater, Carol Churchill, Joe Orton. Favorite theater show? Favorite theater show? Oh my god, I've seen so much amazing theater in my life. Perhaps in the last year, let's narrow it down. In the last year, uh, I think what the Constitution means to me on Broadway right now is really exceptional. If you could give 21-year-old Max one piece of advice before any of this, what would you say? Um, don't even waste a second trying to appeal to people who are never going to get you. Just immediately, don't try to fit in with them. Zoom in on the other freaks, find your community with them and create work with them for them and about them brilliant well on that note yeah our cast is warming up so i think <laughs> thank you so finish. much for this interview thank you